to Tabletop Game Talk, On Topic, a show where we talk about tabletop gaming topics of all kinds. I'm one of your hosts, Fletcher. I'm Kitty. And I'm Chris. Today we're talking about those games that take up a lot of space. Sometimes that means space on the table, but often it means multiple boxes, oversized boxes, or dozens or hundreds of miniatures. These games are challenge to store and likely a bigger challenge to get a chance to play. So today we're talking about what attracts us to or repels us from these games. But first, a thank you to our Patreon friends of the show, Adam Harrison and the SGC. And a huge thank you to all of our other patrons as well. So, Kitty, you were up very early this morning. Yes, I was. You ran a 5K. I, well, I ran part of a, like, five and a half K. <laughs> I did a lot of walking. Um, and also, the mileage was a complete lie, and it was not 3.1 miles. It was 3.8 miles. Ridiculous. It, but it was it, fun, nonetheless. <laughs> Wait, it was 3.8? Yes. So, was it like a 6K? Right? Yeah. I'm confused. Um, no, they just like lied about the mileage. They were like, it's a 5K. And then everyone, like, they had the mile markers out and you ran Why past the dying? first one and you <laughs> ran past the second one, you ran past the third one. And, you know, when you get to the third mile marker of a 5K, you're like, all right, this is it. I'm going to like make my final push to the finish line. It's got to be like right around the curve here or whatever. So everyone starts running again, you know, because everyone slows down in my you know, range <laughs> where I was. So everyone like makes that final push and we get around the bend and there's no finish line. And then we just keep going and everyone's like, what is happening? And everyone who had a fitness tracker was like, yeah, this is like, we're at 3.5. We're at 3.6. <laughs> and it got like more and more ridiculous. And it was almost four miles. But it was the Wonder Woman 5k. So you, you, we looked really awesome. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I, um, Sydney and you both ran it. I woke up with you guys. I was going to go drop you off, but then it was, you know, 6 a.m. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I'm just going to go back to sleep. Yeah. Especially yeah, after was... last night where we were playing D&D and there was some adult beverages involved and nobody had a right to be up that early. You know, I was just thinking and I don't think that I have ever done a 5K where I didn't have regrets about my behavior the night before. <laughs> Every time. Yeah. All right. Well, I have some other announcements. Um, let's see. Origins. I'm at Origins as this drops tomorrow. And then the we have a giveaway this month. Is it this month? Yeah. It's We are going to give away a game. On our 150th episode, which is three more episodes from now. And in that episode, we are going to give away a copy of the Pathfinder Adventure card game core set, which is sort of the reboot of the Pathfinder Adventure card game. And we're going to give away the first um, expansion to it, which I forget the name of it, but I... Oh, the C Curse of the Crimson something, um, I think. Anyway, I will find out by the end of this episode what this is. And this is sponsored by The Gift of Games at Gray's Lake. And I will likely end up doing a how to play video of this as well, even though the game's been out for quite a while. It's different enough where it would be a perfect re-entry point for somebody if they wanted to get back into it. So I am excited for this because this is going the original version of the Pathfinder Adventure card game is kind of one of the games that could fall into this huge games category if we really wanted to. And the new version is much more manageable. 
So anyway, yes, new giveaway. We'll talk more about that at the end of the show. How do you enter? I'm going to talk about that right now real quick, though. Um, send us an email. So if you want to enter, if you're a patron, you're already entered. You don't have to do anything, but if you want to get some extra entries, you can do this. Send us an email with questions. Um, a question, but as many questions as you want. Questions that we can pick and choose from for listener mail for weeks or months to come. So that's the type of questions we're looking for. Stuff that has a little bit of meat on them. Um, you can ask personal questions and stuff like that too, but we're just looking for questions uh, to build up a backlog of listener mail. All right. We are talking about huge games. You guys were over to my house yesterday and I had four games on my dining room table and it took up a good quarter of the table and i have a really have a five foot by five foot dining room table i'd say like more than a quarter of your table it was almost half of your table was taken up by these ridiculous games yeah those games were gotham city chronicles uh joan of arc seventh continent and uh oh Gloomhaven on there right no that wasn't even there thunderstone quest was. oh that's right it wasn't there right yep um and all of these games that were on the table are ones that are Kickstarter fulfilled within the last few weeks. So this is what's really been like bringing this to my, you know, to the forefront of my thought is what am I going to do with all of these games? Like I can't put them in my normal game shelves. I could put them downstairs, but that means I'll probably never play them. And then there's so much content there that I don't know if I will ever play it anyway. Cause like, where do you even begin? And this is what we're talking about. Do you guys have big games? Giant, giant games. Giant Actually, games. I don't have very was, big games at all. Yeah, because you made this the topic, I was looking at my shelf, and I think my biggest games, uh, like Wingspan, is among my biggest games. <laughs> all right, and that is not a big game. No, it is not. <laughs> uh, what else did I have? Risk is up there among my big games. I don't have very many of these big games. And I think it's because this kind of gameplay is really hard to get to the table. I am very busy. I have a toddler who would love to eat a bazillion miniatures. <laughs> eat ev- every little All thing. All the pieces. He Especially would, the ones that look like candy. Yeah. Right? Um, And, you know, I'm like, I made a deal with Spencer about. This is my shelf space that is for my games, and I'm limited to this shelf space. So when something new comes in, I have to, you know, make choices and get rid of old stuff. And I would have to get rid of like six other games to get one huge game. And is there a huge game that you would be interested in getting? So I, I've listed, let's see, I have about a half a dozen, well, about a dozen listed here. So just off the top of my head, this is what I typed in in the last few minutes. Gotham City Chronicles. So this is a Batman one versus mini game. Gloomhaven, which we've talked about. Everyone knows what Gloomhaven is. Seventh Continent, which even though the base box is relatively small, once you get the expansion and all the ex- other expansions, and then there's some other content on top of that, the game itself is it's manageable in two boxes but when you take when you play it on the table it can take up entire like as big as your dining room table is it can be that big um heroes of land air and sea this takes up three huge boxes if you have all the expansions and the game itself again is i think three feet by four feet five feet or something it's just it's just a huge footprint um kingdom death mansions of madness um massive darkness arcadia quest basically anything by simon um and then thunderstone quest which is a basically dominion have we talked on this podcast is it simon or is it come on it's come on but everyone says simon so they want it to be come on 
and everyone says it as Simon. So I'm, I'm going to say either one is correct. And every once in a while, if I'm thinking about them, I'll say, come on. Okay. Neither of them are great choices, I have to say. <laughs> no, they're really not. No. Cool Mini or Not was a better name. It's a mouthful. I, I, they should have just, like, I don't know. There's Z-Man games. They should have just been, like, X-Man games or yeah. something. They, they just could have been Cool Mini games. Although, yeah. that maybe is easier has to have miniatures, or you're talking about miniature games, which is the opposite of this topic. And that would be an oxymoron, because they are definitely not mini games. But they have some mini games. <sighs> Anyway, they make Back big games. Back to the original question. <laughs> um, the only game on this list that I have any interest in is Seventh Continent. Which is a great one to have interest in. And it's probably the smallest of all of them. Yeah. But it also, even though... So do you know how to play... Have you guys heard anything about Seventh Continent? Have you played it? Seen any gameplay for it? I haven't. I no. have heard you discuss it many times. But right. I have never seen it played. I've so the, seen the pieces, but I haven't seen it. I mean, like, cards. <laughs> it's not yeah. So this one's worth describing, especially since it's in Kickstarter fulfillment right now. So people are getting, I think it's the second wave of the second Kickstarter. So there's a lot of buzz about this. So if you haven't played Seventh Continent or you haven't followed it, what this is, is an adventure game done with all square cards. And the square cards are a map. So you will have a card that your your little figures will be on, and you can use anything. You could use pennies for figures. That It doesn't matter. It's just a player marker. But they have cardboard ones, and they have miniatures. The game gives you both, just in case you don't want to use the miniatures, you don't want to use cardboard ones, whatever. Those ones don't matter. When you want to take an action, you are told a difficulty for that action and how many cards that you need to draw to take that action. And you can always draw more, but there's a minimum. And the reason that there's a minimum number of cards is because the deck of cards that you're drawing from, your action deck, is a um it's it's limited. And those cards will go into the discard pile. And if you ever have to draw cards and you don't have any in your action deck, well that's kind of symbolizing that you're starving. And if that you do that, then you randomly draw cards from your discard pile. And if you ever draw a curse card, which just lives in your action decks, then you're dead. You die. So that's the kind of the premise of it. But as you're going through, it's just this massive exploration. And this map, I think someone um, mapped it out and like like put everything out. And it took up the size of like, you know, an entire living room floor or something like that. It was just huge. And that was just the base game. So this qualifies as a huge game because the first curse, you, you play curses in this game, and the first curse takes about 12 to 15 hours to complete. So it's also a massive time commitment, but you can easily save it. So you don't have to do it all at the same time. You just, everyone gathers on the same card, and there's like a save method, and you can start up from that new space. So that's Seventh Continent. It is amazing. It is a huge game, but I think this one is the most manageable of all of the huge games on this list, which is why I think you would want it. Is it also the only one on this list that does not include a bazillion and a half miniatures? It the miniatures that are included with it are that superfluous. Super, they're unnecessary. They yeah. do have them, but the miniatures are also super super tiny. Uh, they just represent your person. So, and then there's four of them that represent fire. But the rest of these games all do include quite a few. I think that's what makes them big to be. I so I was. Going to make that connection. And how many of these are Kickstarter games? Gotham City, yes. Gloomhaven, yes. Seventh Continent, yes. Heroes of Land, Air, and Sea, sort of, but yes. Uh, Kingdom Death, yes. Mansions of Madness, no. Uh, I put Mansions of Madness on here because the base box is just a normal-sized box. 
but every expansion that comes with it has another huge box that comes with it and a ton of miniatures. Massive Darkness was a Simon uh, game, yes. Uh, Arcadia Quest also again. Massive Darkness, Arcadia Quest, they get huge when you get all of the expansions, and that's yeah. and that's a other another subject here. Like a lot of these games can be manageable, but because the Kickstarters give you so much stuff, and that's pretty much the only place you're going to be able to get that stuff. It's and also your completionist nature. A lot of people have no problem just getting the base game. Yeah. Who are those people? And if you... It's me. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have any desire to get the Kickstarter-exclusive miniatures. I don't want all of these things. Honestly, a lot of these games that have all these miniatures, you don't need all this stuff. You could use any kind of tokens as long as they're distinct. It's just like flavor. And it's cool. It is so neat. I love miniatures. I it's just not my hobby. So yeah. these games are unappealing to me because most of them are huge because the big thing, the thing that takes up so much space is all the miniatures. Yeah, and I will say something like Mansions of Madness, I have cuz I really like this game. It, I don't get to play it as much as I would like to, which is essentially all of these games. Um but that one, I don't use the miniatures anymore. I put the miniatures in a separate box and I put them away and I know that some people are saying blasphemy. But one of the things that Mansions of Madness does is each of the miniatures has a like a cardboard base that has all the has a picture of the guy of the monster and statistics on there. So you have to look at the cardboard base for the monster stats anyway, and you can just use those cardboard bases in place of the miniatures and you get the exact same gameplay out of it. And and for me I like it better because the pictures are actually colored and unless I go through and paint all of the the miniatures, these are just blobs of gray plastic all over the place which are like eh, okay these are just a pain in them to manage at this point and they fall off their bases so you have to glue them on and it's <sighs> first world problems <laughs> <laughs> it's very true and i i think this is another you know issue i want to lay at kickstarter's doorstep and i don't want to turn into an anti-kickstarter person oh, i don't no. want to get on that rant again <laughs> but i do think that a lot of times to grab attention You'll see these games on Kickstarters and it has these huge banners on it. It's like includes 127 unique miniature figures and it gets people to click on the game and it gets people to back it and to back it at higher levels to get all of this stuff that is really fluff. It's not necessary for gameplay so much of the time. I would say almost all of the time. Yeah. However, I don't want to make that like total, you know, Oh, always. It's not like a hard, fast rule. Some games have really cool miniatures, and they add a lot to the game. And some games, I could be using meeples. Yes. I will yeah. I will say, though, in this hobby, table presence is a real thing, and table presence will sell games. So, in a way, miniatures... A lot of these games, if they didn't have that 127 miniatures, not only would they not make as much money... But they would also probably not be nearly as interesting of a game, and that's so. Here, Go ahead. Here's it. Yeah. So I was thinking, like, here's the thing. Like, when I hear like includes 127 miniatures or anything like that, I think of the Kingdom Death. Yeah. And how I thought that would be fun, and then I ended up just like wishing that they were just all the same, <laughs> and I didn't want to like assemble any of these things. And it's just like, can I just use a coin with an arrow on it because? 
I hate this. Yeah. You know, and I think there are a lot of other ways to have really good table presence. I love nothing more than a beautiful playmat. I think that playmats are so much better. (laughs) I think that the art of a game can be so much more eye-catching because unless the miniatures are painted, they really, it's hard to see the detail on them unless you're really close. And, you know, this is more of a, like, unboxing kind of, like, excitement. It's the initial opening. Once you start playing with them longer, like, they, I feel like they kind of blend into the background unless you really are painting them, unless that's what you're passionate about. And if you are, great. I'm so glad these games are out there for you. They're just not for me. Yeah, the painting is a big thing. So Zombie Side is another one that falls victim to this, especially if you have all the expansions. And I w- ran it last year at Gamehole Con, and someone was in the game and they played quite a few. And in order for me to actually be able to play that game, I had to paint the bases of the miniatures different colors. Because you have you have your normal zombies, you have your runners, you have your abominations. The abominations are just bigger, they're easier to, to tell, but then you have your fatties. And at a distance, it's very difficult to see all the different types of zombies. So what I ended up doing them was just essentially painting all of their bases a color based on their type. And the guy who was in the game who was looking at these, like he said, oh, wow, that's a great idea. This makes this game so much easier to play. Or you could have just used pennies, nickels, and dimes, and it would have been much easier to play. It just would have been not as, you know, fancy to look at. Right. So You know, and playability can be affected by that. Like, you know, sometimes if I'm getting, you know, even dead of winter, and these are cardboard figurines, how many times do you accidentally move the wrong person around playing that game? Any of these things where it's not easily distinct. And if you're counting on a ring at the bottom of your miniature, you could be using a plastic colored piece and it would be easier. Well, and to Fletcher, to your point, You know, we talked about the Game Crafter last week, and one of the things that I have in Surplus is essentially every different color of meeple. Like, they're these little plastic, um, transparent meeples, and I have have them in, like, I think 10 different colors. And I will use them as replacements for a lot of games that come with miniatures. Thunderstone Quest comes with miniatures for no reason whatsoever. This is a deck-building game like Dominion with a fantasy setting. The miniatures just confuse the game. They're different sizes. They There's no reason for them. They're, they're just random fantasy miniatures. I immediately remove them, and I just put in colored pawns in their place, and it is so much easier to play that game. Hmm. So Massive Darkness, just do the same thing. Grab some big different pawns and like, all right, I don't have to like assemble this manticore out of 57 different pieces I have to cut out, <sighs> which is why I gave that game away immediately. You're talking about Kingdom Death, not Massive Darkness. Oh, yeah. Massive Darkness just has way too many miniatures. All right. Let's talk about Massive Darkness for a moment. This is a CMON game, not overly successful, but major, major issue with just miniatures for no reason. So the way that Massive Darkness works is you have one boss monster, and then you have a number of minions that come along with that boss monster. So you'll have one figure that is like the Hobgoblin, and then you'll have eight figures that are the goblins that come with them. And when you attack, 
that you attack the entire horde and the goblins act as hit points. So if I do three points of damage, I remove three goblins. Once I've removed all the goblins, then I can attack the hobgoblin. The goblins are nothing more than glorified hit point trackers. And it's infuriating that I have to sh- like sort through all these miniatures to play this game to the point where I'm like, it's, the game's not fun enough for me to do this. It's too much work to play. It would have been fine if it just had a single monster and he had hit points and it was actually easy to set up and take down. The game is good enough for that. It's not good enough to have to sort through hundreds of miniatures. <sighs> is this just a venting episode? <laughs> um, I don't think so, because I have a question for you. All right. Do living card games count as huge games? <sighs> I think in in many ways they can as far as how you manage that collection. Because huge games have, we, we mentioned two of them in the opening, that's basically storage and table presence. Although a living card game probably doesn't have a huge amount of table presence, depending on the card game, you do end up getting into this weird storage thing. It's actually worse with collectible card games. Because where do you Fair. put all your extra cards? Uh, with Dice Masters, where do you put all your extra dice? You have all of this stuff, and you have to like sort them. Arkham Horror, an amazing game. There are thread after thread after thread about how X, Y, or Z person stores their Arkham Horror cards. And I store them differently. Like, And I spend probably as much money on storage for Arkham Horror as I do on the game itself. Like, it's, it's almost absurd. But the game... I can't not get so, it. So is it taking up more shelf space than something like Gloomhaven? Yes. Arkham Horror right now is, I have an entire dedicated shelf. And if you were doing like the Ikea um, square cubbies, it would be three cubbies worth of shelf for wow. Arkham Horror, the card game. That's a lot of cards. It is a lot of cards. I I think that's almost trickier. That I, you know, I realized what it is. I forgot it, but now I remember what my biggest game is. Time stories. Yeah. Because you've got the base game and then you have all the expansions. And the base game is not a small box. It doesn't need to be as big a box. I feel like it's a very empty box, but it is a big one. And I've got what, like five expansions sitting on my shelf? It takes up a lot of space. Yeah. Well, then there's three more to that series that you don't have yet. That I don't have. On my shelves. Yeah. Um, And, you know, these ones where you keep getting expansions, especially ones where it's more of a campaign. You have to get the expansion to continue to play like a living card game. You, It takes up so much more space and it's so hard to get things out of there because even though I'm probably never going to play the first Time Stories again, the first expansion, whatever, like the first three that we've played through, I'm probably never going to get back to those. I've played them. I know all the secrets. I know all the spoilers. But, like, I'm not going to get rid of them. They're nice games. I had fun playing them. And that's where, like, I need to get out of that mindset. Um, And I don't know if that works with living card games at all. Like, do you retire cards or do you need to hold on to all of them? It sort of depends on the game. So if you're talking, and if we're talking strictly living card games, that is a trademark brand from Fantasy Flight. And it's worth, there are expandable card games. Um, Plaid Hat does it with... um, Ashes, Rise of the Phoenix, I think, or Phoenix, something Phoenix, Ashes. Um, And there's other cards, too. Anything that's expandable. uh, Dominion is an expandable card game. The Dominion is probably an easy one to imagine. Uh, The very first, the base set has a number of cards, and boom, you can play that game over and over and over. There's more combinations of cards in that box than you will ever have a chance to play with. 
if you were to just use that. But the next expansion gives you more cards that you can mix in. You're only ever going to play with 10 sets in any given game, but I think there's something like 20 sets per box or some something like that. And Dominion has, oh, I don't know, a dozen expansions now. So there's hundreds of cards. And how many 10-card combinations can you make of those hundreds? Um, and then how do you store that, right? And you do sort of go back to those original cards, but you don't have to ever. Um, Arkham Horror, you... We'll go back to the player cards for sure, but you may not revisit the scenarios once you've played them through. You you know, unless you really, really love the game, you can play the scenarios over and over and over. But oftentimes people will just play it once through and they'll be done with it. Um, if you're talking about Game of Thrones or any other competitive living card games, yeah, you're going to want one or two cards from each pack, but a lot of the cards are just going to be, you know, Cards you're going to ignore. You're never going to use them because they're just not good enough for your deck. So you you run into all of these issues of, I love this game. I want to have everything, but I'm only going to ever use a fraction of it. Or once I've used it, I'm never going to use it again. I'm coming up against a new problem for me because I never really got into living card games or collectible card games, but I have started playing Keyforge a lot. And I have some really bad decks. And yeah, I want to maybe keep a couple of those in case we're playing... Um, reversals, something like that. But like all of these mediocre decks, like what what do I do with them? <laughs> yep, they're just clogging up my shelf. I don't want to play with them. I don't want to throw them away. Nobody else wants to buy my mediocre decks. Nobody wants. I'm just gonna end up like giving them away to people, I guess. But then I feel guilty because I'm like, oh, I'm giving them like a not great deck. I don't know. It's hard. Yeah, and Keyforge is one of the easier decks or easier card games to store because you're just storing decks. Like, you don't have to sort them. You just have to put them together as a deck and put them someplace in a container, wherever you happen to put it, which makes it very easy to store. But you're right. Do you really want to store these decks that you're never going to play again? Just throw them in the trash. (laughs) What am I going to do with this? Yep. And you literally at could least do recycle that. them. <laughs> One okay, th- sorry. Recycle them. Throw them <laughs> in the recycle bin. One of the th- and when I say recycle, I mean put them down the garbage disposal. <laughs> That's a test of a good garbage. That'll disposal. work out well. Yes. I um. One of the things that I did with some common cars, like oh, I don't remember what game. Oh no, is uh my Star Trek Star Wars the Living Card game. I had some extra packs because I wanted to get. A particular card, but the rest of the cards in there were totally extra. So I would take a two-inch or one-inch circle hole punch that you, you know to punch holes in paper, and then use a magnet that is a one or two-inch magnet and stick those to it, and now they become refrigerator magnets. So it's like art refrigerator. Oh, magnets good! On I my don't wall. have enough of those. <laughs> <laughs> but they're Are you, uh, you're doing air quotes. They become art. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Well, some of this card art is really, really good. Thanks, Jackson Pollock. This is art now. <laughs> well, board games are art. I'm going to... I think we, we may have done an episode on that. Board games as art. I'm pretty sure we did. I don't think we have. I I always thought of them as essentially when you put them on your shelf, you're putting them on your shelf to display. If you never play it, it's still art to look at. Shelf candy. Shelf candy. Hashtag. All right. Um, so we get, oh, were you not here for shelf candy? (laughs) No, that sounds like lead paint. (laughs) Hey, that's 
my original what are you getting Twitter into? Just shelf hashtag. candy. <laughs> this is how you not- get lead poisoning. <laughs> <laughs> we should um, totally start a hashtag shelf candy on Twitter. And I got a whole bunch of them. It's, and I need to follow that. Go, that tag yeah, then. go search hashtag shelf candy, and they're all tweets at me of people's board game shelves. <laughs> That's awesome. All it's right. amazing. Let's do it Our again. Our listeners are great. I love it. Yeah. Any any tweet with a Add hashtag shelf candy. Yeah. <laughs> any hashtag shelf candy tweets in the next three weeks is also an entry into our giveaway. <laughs> However, if you do hashtag shelf candy, hashtag self candy <laughs> at the same time, <laughs> you next to your shelf, you get double points. <laughs> uh. Self shelf candy. I, I, all right. If you are in the self se- shelf candy selfie, um, yeah, we'll give you an extra entry there. Kitty, you're the one that's processing all this. Actually, no, Fletcher, you no. are because you're the one that made the rule. <laughs> no, I take it back. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought it would be funny. All right. Speaking of funny, we have a decent amount of input on this one. So um, who wants to go first? All right. Well, let's hear from Anne first. All right. So, um, Anne says she likes big games, but she's pretty picky about them. <laughs> she cannot lie. <laughs> I, I tried so hard Get to just not put call. that in there. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, it was just thrown up there. I had to hit it. So, she says, I certainly weigh the cost against the number of times I'm likely to play. I really struggle with anachrony, finally borrowing a copy to make sure I'd like it before going all in. Since then, I've sought it out at conventions and had so much fun playing just the base set. Part of the dilemma is developing a group of people who want to play the same game repeatedly and often enough to remember the rules. Only then do you really get to explore all the content. I haven't broken open my spirit island expansions because i'm always playing with first or second timers yeah anachrony is an interesting hear, one yeah. <laughs> yeah the the those big games you have to play with the same group the only reason i was able to play gloomhaven as far through as we did is because we designated a, a day every week to play two scenarios and we did this for like six months and that made it incredibly worth it but i can't do that with every game there's just not enough days in the week and it, and it's hard because, you know, when you're making that choice, there are dozens of other games that you could play once that you want to play once that aren't getting to the table because you're playing the same game over and over and over again. Yep. It's it's a pain. And Anachrony is interesting, too, because Anachrony is a big box game. It, it's it's a heavy it it's a Euro game for sure. But the base game doesn't have anything in it besides cardboard. And well, and and some to- actually no, I think it's just all cardboard. But um, they have an expansion that is literally a box that almost the same size as the original. That is just big plastic miniatures that you put your workers in, and it becomes a worker placement game with these giant miniatures. And I've only ever played it with the miniatures. I don't think I would ever play it without the miniatures. But they're completely unnecessary. They do. I will admit though, they give a sense of immersion that you wouldn't get. If you were just playing with the cardboard, and I feel a little guilty with that, but anachrony, I can still all fit in the in the base box. I can pack it all together. So, um, Anne, I will be bringing it to Origins and hope to play <laughs> a game with you. Let's see. Um, Should I, I go next? Yeah. From yeah. Eric, uh, there was one I was okay. looking for, but yeah, you go next. Okay. So Eric writes in. He says, "For huge games with minis, I have stuck to stuck to the one game, Mansions of Madness." 
It took two large bags with six Plano boxes for the minis and one with all the one with all the map tiles, cards, and tokens to take to a recent convention, plus a tablet, charger, and extension cord for power. If you add in the time I spent painting all the figures, I've just I've just about got my money's worth. But I certainly can't justify other huge games with minis. If you have a regular group who will play these games that typically take longer to set up and play, then I'm sure you can justify them. But the thirty to eighty dollar euro and party games I also buy get a lot more play with greater range of people. In my case, I would just have to accept that any other huge game I would buy would be solely f- for me and not see regular playtime. Yeah, so, I, I think this is a great point. It's like almost the bigger a game is, the less likely it is to get played. Like, at least that's the rule in my house, is that the more setup time, the harder it is to play, the more bits and pieces there are, the less likely it is to make it to the table. And I'd rather play, you know, these... I've got some really great, like, pocket-sized games that you can just take and go, and they get played so often... And they're so much fun. And I don't feel like I'm missing out too much on these big game experiences. But then I also, we have, you know, D&D we've started playing again. And that, you know, kind of takes up that same feel. Yeah. Of it's like the same the feel. It's not a big box kind game, of game. It's the same kind of feel. Yeah. Yeah. It does have that really epic feel that you get from these big box games that I don't know. I don't know if I feel like I'm missing something. Well, Terrence actually dovetails into this pretty much exactly what you're saying. He's like, I wonder if anyone is really getting the value out of these games to justify these several hundred dollar expenditures. He says, I've spent hundreds on various mini games. It's easy to drop hundreds more on an RPG, but those are geared to regular gaming sessions or organized play. These big box games are not, but they can feature a variety of scenarios. Then again, maybe the having is enough. I own all of the Firefly RPG books that were published. Having run a handful of sessions and played in a handful more, I haven't scratched the surface of the resources. But I'm a brown coat and love knowing I can play any number of games in the verse, minis, RPGs, or more traditional board games. And I think that this is an this has to be a way to look at these larger game purchases and be able to justify it. It's not about being able to play the game. It's about knowing that this is something you are a fan of and you have that item that you're a fan of. It's it's collecting an art piece. It's not getting value for your money. Although, Eric, with painting all the miniatures from Mansions of Madness, that is definitely added value. <laughs> like As long as you enjoy doing that, as long as it's not work and it's enjoyment, there is a lot of enjoyment in painting all of those miniatures. If you like paintings. <laughs> I do like painting I... miniatures. I don't like having to paint miniatures, though, if that makes I sense. I love painting miniatures, but uh, if I take on one more hobby, Spencer is going to, like, I, I don't know what he would do, <laughs> but he would be very cross with me. <laughs> Chris, can you briefly describe what you mean by you like painting miniatures, but you don't like having to paint miniatures? So if there is, it's one of those things where if somebody's like um, Arcadia Quest, we, we I painted a few of those characters and I wanted to paint all of them. When there was a campaign that we were in the middle of, we would start a campaign, we'd pick our characters, and we'd start out the first scenario would be gray plastic. And then I enjoyed painting all of those miniatures for that campaign so that the next session we had all painted miniatures. So I enjoyed doing that. But then when I looked at all the other miniatures and said, okay, I want to paint all of these, but there's no reason for me to paint them because I'm not playing with them yet. 
And now it just feels like a chore. And it feels like I could be painting something else that we are, we're going to play with, or I could just be doing anything else besides painting these miniatures just for the sake of having them painted. And that's sort of the difference. Like when I'm doing it, when there's a reason to do it, I like doing it. If the reason to do it is just to have them all painted, then I'm not as motivated to do that. Uh, have you ever painted miniatures? No, that sounds ter- that sounds terrible. <laughs> it's, it's really fun. <laughs> it's it's one of those things that I have no artistic ability whatsoever. But I'm is act- it like assembling miniatures because no. it was also terrible? No, no. I do, I purposely do not get games that required assembled miniatures, except for Shadespire, which is a push fit system. So you don't there's no glue or anything like that. It's just like two to four pieces that you push together, and they like have this. Somehow they just go together and they never fall apart. Um, those are the only. And you don't have miniatures. the issue of Reina's hand still falls off all the time. Exactly. Like I just. It I, makes me sad. I will not <laughs> assemble miniatures. That is that is something that is just way too tedious for me. But painting them, I, I try to describe it to people as it's a 3D coloring book. If you can exactly. color, yeah. If you that's can, exactly what I was going to say. Yeah. If you can color a page out of a coloring book and come up with something that looks pretty decent, you can be a 3D miniature painter just as easily it requires a little bit of patience um but then it can just kind of zen out to music or a podcast or a book or whatever and suddenly three four five disney six movies. hours disney movies <laughs> something you don't have to pay attention to with your eyes and yeah yeah it's it's fun i recommend it to like everybody. a disney movie <laughs> yeah like a disney <laughs> so kitty we and watched, i um frozen and tangled and I painted one miniature during both of those movies, and I still wasn't finished. Yeah. But I loved it. It was very fun. Kitty and I watch enough Disney movies where you don't actually have to look at the screen anymore. It just You just know what's happening. Yeah. It's just background. (laughs) So. All right. What does Bonnie have to say? All right. Bonnie says, for me, there is little appeal to these huge games. What they deem as epic play or components just isn't epic to me. I'd much prefer a meaty, heavy Euro game instead. There are tons of those that take a lot of time. I'm looking at you, colonist, Lisboa, etc. But I can explore them in a more timely fashion without taking up a closet's worth of game space. I preach. (laughs) (laughs) No, I sympathize with this. A, a lot. Like the big games to me, there's something about them that draws me in because of the, oh my God, look at all this stuff I can get. I, the I have collector the collector in you. Yeah. Well, I have the Joan of Arc game that just came. And at the time it was quite hyped. It's very well rated. I don't know if I'll ever play it. It's just at the time it's like, wow, look at all this stuff I get. And so I must Kickstarter have it. Kickstarter does this to you. It draws you in and it gives you this like you have a deadline. If you don't get this now, you might not be able to get it. If you don't back it, who knows if you'll ever be able to and you have to do it now. It's a now or never choice. And it can be really dangerous. I found myself almost backing a game this week and I was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> it almost got me, but then I thought about it and I was like, you know, I'm just you know, looking at Kickstarter because we cover it on Dice Tower News. And so I'm in there and I get in this mindset of like, oh, this is like the best game on Kickstarter. This is the most interesting game on Kickstarter to me right now. I should back it. And I'm like, no, just because it's the the good one that's there now doesn't mean it's a game that I want to have in my collection. And I have to get myself out of that mindset sometimes of like, if I miss this, I've missed this opportunity forever. My most if recent- I was in the game store, I wouldn't have picked it up. 
because I would be able to go get it back if it appealed to me later. And if it wouldn't be something I purchased then, why should I purchase it now? Yeah. My most recent Kickstarter purchase was the Splice and Dice expansion for Too Many Bones. And I've been saying that expansions aren't counting against my 10 games, but this one I had to count against one of my 10 games since the expansion was huge. Yeah, it was like $160 or something like that. And Too Many Bones is another huge game that just has too many bones. There's too many dice. There's too many poker (laughs) chips. There's too many... uh, what is it? The the uh, play mats? Like, there's just so much stuff. Yeah, aren't those like the neoprene mats too? They're like thick mats. Yes, and it's yeah. heavy and it's huge. And part of this Kickstarter was they called it the trove box or treasure box. Trove, I think it's trove box that is meant to be able to store everything. It is about I don't know two Gloomhaven boxes big. It's just ridiculous sized. And I remember when this showed up, you didn't tell me what it was, and you just handed me the box, and you're like, feel this. And I was like, oh, it was like, I thought it was going to fall over. Yeah. And it's and it's a beautiful heavy. game. Yeah. It's just, I why do I need it all? Heavy. It's physically heavy. It is it, not <laughs> a well, heavy Euro game. It is a heavy, like, it weighs more than my son. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, to get back to Bonnie's point here, like, Lisboa, for example is a game that I n- would have never bought because to me, that is a comprehensively huge game that sometimes, most of the times, I just don't have the energy to get into, but I feel the exact same way about that as I do about the Gotham City that's sitting downstairs on my kitchen right now. Because I, like both of them, it's just there's too much there for me to even know how to approach it. And I need to be well-rested and have some good energy <laughs> and like... I still have The Gallerist, which is a game I really want to play. And it doesn't even look all that complicated, but it is such a big Euro game. You have this mental block against learning Euro games that I find completely baffling. This is why I had to learn Castles of Burgundy, because you kept looking at the book and just, like, glazing over. (laughs) All right, Castles of Burgundy is not... I have the app now. And actually, that's another thing, too. I want to bring up the app for uh, some of these big games. But I have the app for Castles of Burgundy. I still have no idea how to play it. I'm just... (laughs) For some reason, my brain does not. It's not hard. My brain doesn't calculate it. It's a really fun game. (laughs) But it does fall in the same situation where if you're not playing this game over and over, you you lose. Like, it it becomes an investment every single time you want to get it back to the table. I will say. I disagree. I'm with Bonnie. (laughs) (laughs) I'm with Bonnie, too, in spirit. Um, But I will say that Gloomhaven is coming to Steam and should most likely be coming to like tablet or mobile and super looking forward to that because I will play these games that are like ported to mobile. I will play those over and over and over because there is no setup. There is no teardown and the game is handling the fiddly rule bits for me. And I love, love, love board game ports. That's all I have to say. I want to love them, but I find myself really into it for a little while and then I burn out on it. Well, yes, it's like any game. Like most video games, you're not going to play forever. You're going to play it and then you're going to be done and move on to the next one. Unless it's Diablo. Well, that's true. I've actually gone back to Diablo multiple times in my I, life. I don't know what it is about that game. I think it's a slot machine. It's a slot machine. I just play it for like years and years and years. <laughs> yeah. Just keep playing it. And that and Civilization. I don't know. Yeah. Well, Anshan Clever, um, you guys should download that app. It's a roll and write. It's, it, the game itself is incredibly addictive. The app run, the app won the, um, 
Geek, uh, what is the Geek Awards, the board game? Golden Geek. Golden Geek Award. Um, it shouldn't have. The app is atrociously <laughs> bad. The game is very good. I just wish it wouldn't have won for best app because the app is terrible. It is just terrible. It does play the game, though. And and I will say it, it plays the game. It plays the game in solo mode only. There's no multiplayer. The achievements are weird. The interface is messed up half the time. The the sound when you start the app, it'll kill any like podcast or anything you're listening to. So then you have to go back and start your thing. And so that they're using the wrong sound channels. As an app developer, uh-huh. I I assure you, it is a terrible app. But the game is good, and as a solo game, Ganchan Clever will keep you busy. It's worth a dollar or two or whatever it costs to get that so- game. Two out of five stars. I would say two out of five stars. Well, I would give it five stars for the game, one star for the app. <laughs> so, all right. Wow, we're, this this is uh, taking longer than I than I thought. Um, he says right. about every episode. We <laughs> I know. Yeah. Get past forty five minutes in. Fletcher, why don't you uh, do Trevor's? Okay, so <clears throat> Trevor writes. My limiting factor hasn't been the space, but time. Large games tend to consume inordinate amounts of time. It helps. When I can do something else while the kids take care of the setup, like today, but that but that non-game play complexity is something I struggle to have patience with. Things like setup, setup, takedown, board management, etc. If it flows, great. If there's a lot of extra upkeep, well, maybe let's just keep playing something small and quick instead. Yeah. So basically, Trevor's kind of echoing our, I think, our realistic feelings about these huge and complicated games. Well, I mean, I have my, a space is a limiting factor for me. Let's let's be. Yeah, yeah. it. It's I, I live both in a small condo, so. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to live that Marie Kondo life. Uh, I'm I, only keeping my games that spark joy, and I find that the huge games are not the ones that, when I look at the box, I feel anxious. I don't feel like yes, I want to get this out and play it. I feel like oh. That's a lot of work. I would really like to play it. I remember having fun when I played it, but I also remember how much work it was to put it up, to tear it down, and remind everyone of the rules. And how it's been so long since we played. It's going to be starting at square one. Yeah, I you can-, can go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, all right. I can say about half of my big games are exactly that. Where I look at them, and I'm like, if I never open those boxes, I'll be just fine. And others, though, like Arkham Horror, I. I I reveled in finding the solution that finally was like that this is my store solution and I love it and everything's organized and it feels good. Um, of course, then once I do that, I'm like, well, if I play it, I have to actually pull things out of where they're supposed to go. So now is it too well stored where I never want to play it? Hmm. But I'll play it. We're bringing it. We're going to bring it on a cruise that we're going to on in September and we're going to play through a campaign on the cruise. So I'm going to I'm going to make it. <laughs> Sounds good. All right. Do we have any more thoughts on huge games? Yes. I don't want to vent about them, though. But I do think... Do we have any more positive thoughts (laughs) on huge games? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) So I do think that if you're looking at a huge game, you should... And my advice to... It's basically a, a gameaholic to other gameaholics. Look at the game... If you're going to invest, and some of these games are like upwards four or $500 to go all in. Kingdom Death Monsters was $1,500 to go all in, and you would get deliveries over the next five years. Um, Kickstarter does this. Most games will 
do this now because the one time they have to engage with their customer is upfront and that's where they're going to make all their money. That's where they're going to make all their extra sales. Making an expansion to a game, especially if it's a game in a low print run, is financially not feasible. So if you can make all the expansions up front and you know exactly how many you have to print, this is why we're seeing more and more of this. And you just have to look at it and say, is this something that I will play by myself or enjoy owning even if I never get to play it or I have a group with it that that's willing to play this with me and they're willing to financially kick in to make that commitment. If any one of those is true, go nuts, get the game. If one of those is not true, you're probably just getting sucked in by the fact that it's like, ooh, shiny. Um, so that's that's me. I, I can't cure myself, but if I was to give <laughs> someone advice I wouldn't take, that that's my advice. Seem reasonable. I think my thoughts are choose one huge game to be your huge game. Find the one that you love and have that be like, you know, if you're trying to have a well-rounded collection... It is fun to have one huge game that like you can pull out and it has that huge table presence. It's really cool, but you don't need every huge game. Yeah. And then you can know those rules too. You don't have to relearn the rules. Yeah. You're, you can be your... the expert of that game. And if you're part of a gaming group where everyone has their own collection, then you get to be the expert of your huge game and you still get to occasionally play the other people's huge games that they have to be the expert on. And then you get a little bit of a taste of, Several different huge games, maybe. Yeah. Fletcher, do you have final advice? Uh, get people to buy huge games for you so you don't have to deal with them. <laughs> <laughs> that is probably the, be the best advice. The friends with Chris method. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Nope. That is probably the best advice I will give you. Also, that. get an organizer because the huge game that I play most often, Gloomhaven, um, the oh normal gosh, setup time for that is terrible. Like you just spend 30 minutes trying to set everything up. Looking However, at that font, those tiny uh, letters. Is this oh, the yeah. right piece? <laughs> but when uh, um, the guy who owns the game, he bought an organizer for it. I think it was like 30 bucks or something like that. And it was wood. And it it actually make it all fit inside the box, too. That cut down setup time from like 30 minutes to like, I don't know, five or six. It, it, it was pretty amazing how much quicker you could set up a board with the organizer. It was great. Well, what's interesting about that too is those organizers can cost sometimes as much of as the game. Like that Gloomhaven yeah. one takes you hours to put together, and it's not cheap. Um, but I agree. Like if it makes the game more playable, playable, the game hits the table more often. By all means, it's it's the right way to go. It's a good investment. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. All right, listener mail. Um, Kitty, I think yours should go first. All right. Justin from BGG says, I think in the most recent episode, you mentioned that BGG looks terrible and outdated. What forum website should it look like to be more modern? This is the only forum website that I visit, so I don't have another example to compare it to. So I think part of the problem is that forum websites in general are kind of outdated. It's a very like 90s thing. A lot of people don't use forum websites very often. Um, so it's hard to compare. The websites that I use most often that sort of fall into this category are um, Facebook or Reddit. So I'm part of several like parenting groups and game groups through Facebook. And those are easy. Just, you know, honestly, it's really the mobile friendly aspect of BGG. It is so 
unmobile friendly. And as somebody who mostly engages with these websites through my phone, BGG is impossible to read. You have to scroll in past all the ads on the sides that you can't figure out. And there's nothing like all the click things are so tiny. It's just really hard for me to use. So that's my take on it is that it's very unmobile friendly and there's nothing per se that's wrong with it. It's just not friendly for my usage style. The term we it just it does look old school. Yeah, like, it does. It just looks old school. So the term we use in the industry is it is not responsive and in saying that it doesn't adjust to different green s- screen sizes very well. There are ads yeah, everywhere. It gives you the exact same page on your phone, on your tablet, on your computer. It is just a smaller version of that same exact thing. So it's and that's not how mobile device websites work. Yeah. And, then, and there's ads everywhere, but I don't actually begrudge it that because you can spend geek gold to get rid of the ads if you don't like the ads because the ads can be a little more cluttery, but that still doesn't make it responsive. The other problem yeah. with Board Game Geek is a few years ago, they started doing a redesign and they only went halfway and then just stopped. And I actually did not support them this year, specifically because the last two years, they've been promising to finish this redesign and nothing has happened from it. Nothing. So I am so annoyed that this is half one half design one way and half one half design the other way. That I'm like, you know something? Make some progress, any progress. And I'm more than happy to throw money at you. But right now, I don't see any changes happening in the last couple of years. And I'm like, so where's what are my funds going towards? And it just uh, it frustrated me. That said, Board Game Geek is the best source of board game news, information, conversations. So we go there because we must. And I'll keep going there. And I'll keep clicking on ads. And I'll keep participating. I just want them to have one coherent look. And I want them to be able to be usable on a mobile device. Yeah, I want it usable on a mobile device. And I want it to not have one, two, three, four different columns on their homepage that you yeah. have to scroll side to side to look at. Yeah, it and if you just... click on any game, you're going to get a completely different interface. It's a yeah. different logo. It's a different sidebar. It's a different interface completely, which is a much more modern interface. That interface is fine. I don't like the hotness on there as much, but it's it's fine. It looks much better, but it's still, it's this mixed that's just mixed as for one thing, and it does not present on mobile. The I this does present the game pages do present much better on mobile though than the homepage. I'll give it that because the, yeah. the game pages are much more mobile friendly, and this is where they're trying to go. It's just the homepage is the first thing you see. Do that first, or at least do it now that you've proved out the design works on the other stuff. So I don't I don't the have any influence. The other thing is their search it. is not great. Yeah, <laughs> um, but again, I will continue to support them. Just not this year, boycotting one year, but I will I will support them going forward. All right, one more. This one is regarding game design. Emily um, mentioned on the forums or wrote on the forums. She said, "In so in the most recent episode, you guys discussed creating games and how you thought creating a rulebook was key to getting your game further into development." All right, so this part I agree with, and then she says, "I disagree." Emily, Emily, <sighs> she's right. Uh, but <laughs> we'll continue with her with her rationale here. Um, my partner, my partner Raymond, and I started prototyping our game City on the, of the Big Shoulders and playtesting without a rulebook, and got months into playtesting stage without even having a draft of the rules. The game was over. Isn't one- that Chicago? I'm sorry. Um, City of Big Isn't, Shoulders. Is, yeah, uh, I think so. Yeah, 
Okay. Sorry. Keep going. <laughs> um, she says, the game was over one and a year, half years into development when we finally got rules down. I guess I'm saying that this doesn't have to be a hindrance. Don't let the rules trip you up. If you have a simple game or a game that you know really well floating around in your head, don't let documentation um, documenting everything stop you. Once you have a rule book, document, uh, document what you have to keep changes. Uh, no, no, sorry, sorry. You have a rule book document. You have to keep up with any changes decided to make. And if the game is not at least 85% done, you're going to have a lot of work to do making those changes along the way. The amount of work involved in developing a game is extensive, and sometimes you have to pick and choose where to put your energy. Getting out there and playtesting your idea is far better than theorizing without input. So don't stress if you don't have something on a paper. Also, one thing that I find really helps me thinking about the games I want to develop, my partner has now published two games and recommends starting with story as opposed to uh, mechanisms or mechanics, uh, depending on which word you want to use. Um, <laughs> a lot of the people have a tendency to start with mechanics of, um, of a game because they really like some aspect of it. But if you come up with a story first that you want to tell, a lot of times the mechanics will be driven from that. So um, Emily makes some really, really good points, and I don't hope that I wasn't being too absolute. Sometimes I have a tendency to do that. I, I have a bit of a problem with this, which is how do you play test a game if you can't teach the rules? And I understand not having a formalized rule book, but you have to have enough for like, you have to have a consistent enough idea of the rules that you're playtesting it consistently. And I think just having a document helps me with that. And maybe it's just how my mind is organized versus other people. Yes. And this is completely baffling to me <laughs> well, that it's like, how do you play test without rule, without a rule book? You you have rules that is to me in some form a rule book, even if it is like a verbal rule book versus a formalized document. Yeah. What Emily has done here is she's touched on two of the most controversial topics in game design. Do you <laughs> have a rule book and then use that rule book to teach the game? Or do you have do you teach a game without a rule book and then write the rules later once you've taught it? You cannot do blind playtesting without a rule book. You you can't do that. But you shouldn't you you don't ever have to start with blind playtesting unless you have a super simple game. In which case, yes, go to the rule book. But I think what she's talking about here is a game that is in your head and you know how it plays. You will always be there when you're playtesting it, so you can always you are the rule book. You can certainly do that. And Eric Lang, one of the best designers in the industry right now, that's how he develops. He, like he will, he has the game in his head, but he will work with co-designers that want everything written down. And it actually works out well for him because he'll do stuff and the other person will document what they're doing. So you can do either approach here. Neither one is wrong. It's whatever one is most comfortable for you. And it's the story versus mechanisms. That is a debate that, goes back as far as it's it's almost cliche to i ask completely a agree with emily on that one i'm with you the story drives the mechanics if it doesn't it feels forced i think i, I completely agree <laughs> i don't disagree with that at all i think that um, most designers will answer that question with there you it just happens at the same time and or some people yeah yeah so some people will say no it, it's definitely mechanics there's a certain mechanic and then you know you can uh, skin it any way you want. Some people are like, no, this is the story and this is what I'm going to tell. Abstract games, obviously, there isn't a story there. It is a, it's a mechanism that you're just going to play through. Um, so, it, again, it depends on the game. It depends on the designer. It depends on how you're thinking. Uh, but I think if you have a strong story game, 
and you want to tell a story, that's where you should start. And you'll probably, you're still going to have to think mechanics in some way, but it'll help you drive which mechanics you use to tell that story. Yeah. I just think my problem is I'm so forgetful that if I don't have a written record of what I'm doing, I would forget the change that I made that made the game perfect. And then I would be mad at myself for forever. (laughs) Yeah, I usually keep an outline of my game design. So if I have like something jumps into my head, which happens fairly often, it jumps out almost as quickly. So I will quickly put an outline of that game. And then if I read through that outline, it's like, oh, right. I know what I was talking about. I know what I was thinking. This doesn't make sense. I would change it and do it this way now because, you know, I'm older and wiser. But that gives me a driving force. It gives me something to say, this is what the game is. Mm -hmm. But Emily also mentioned at another um, forum on actually on game design. She's, she says, I'm always surprised when that surprised that more of my friends don't like the idea of tweaking rules. There are some games, albeit not my favorite games, that I would love to tweak the rules to. So Emily, you're a designer through and through. And that's actually how you can tell if you if you'd make a good game designer. If you look at a game and you're like, I could make this better. You're probably a game designer at heart. So yep. Totes. Uh, all right. I think that's about enough. Um, I did find it's more than enough. It is more than according enough. to my time stamp. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see. So a reminder: we are giving away sponsored by the Gift of Games in Grays Lake. And if so, if you're in Grays Lake, stop by. If you're not, um, they do have a website. He is eventually going to be selling stuff online, but he's not right now, as far as I know. But he is my local game store. We're working on an app together, and he's like, I want to give something to your podcast, and you know, the Pathfinder Adventure um, card game core box, and the Curse of the Crimson Throne expansion. I'm like, all right, that I'm not going to say no. So thank you, Tim. And to enter, send us an email at feedback at tabletopgametalk.com. Um, just put. Uh, giveaway as a subject and send us a question, any question you want, something that can kind of fill that listener mail slot, um, like a question at the end of the show type of thing. Uh, if you want to give us more questions, that's awesome. Also, you can hashtag shelf candy, shelf candy, self candy, shelf candy. <laughs> Let's just stick with shelf candy. That'll be easier for me. Um, and if you're a patron, you're already entered, but these other methods will give you another entry as well. We will do that drawing on our 150th episode, which is three weeks away. Um, so you have about eh, about two and a half weeks to enter. So the Friday before that Tuesday, I'll, I'll find out the actual date later, but the Friday before the 150th episode. Um, I will be at Origins this week. So if you're at Origins... Um, the, probably the easiest way is to shoot me a tweet at Game Master Chris. If you don't already have contact information, I don't know that I'll be checking, um, email regularly enough for that be a good way to communicate with me. But if you want to meet up for a game, let me know. And, uh, our Gen Con show, just a reminder that is Friday at 8 PM, not 8, 6 PM. So 8 PM on Friday, it's in, in the stadium and show up. Lots of people go away with stuff. So. It's where I just unload all my extra stuff. You can follow us at Facebook slash Tabletop Game Talk Podcast, Twitter at Tabletop Game Talk. Well, Tabletop Game TLK. Kitty is Lawful Good Mom. Fletcher is Net Fletch. I am Game Master Chris. Leave us a review and help us on Patreon at TabletopGameTalk.com slash Patreon. Tabletop Game Talk is a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. Thanks for listening, and remember, we love your feedback. So email us with comments or questions about today's episode at feedback at TabletopGameTalk.com. 
Finally, a huge thank you to all of our patrons. Adam Harrison, the SGC, Jason Strong, Terrence Miltner, Stephen Seitz, Michael Ohl, Brian, Brian Arnold, Sean P. Kelly, C. Marie, Ru- Rudy Liu, Benjamin Hamowitz, Jerry Huang, Stephen Phillips, Caleb O'Brien, Jennifer, Jennifer Inkelbrecht, Justin Willard, Christopher Dong, Jason Marks. Jeremy Fisher, David Ratke, Nick Quickstra, David Sellers, Jason Rodney, Michael Janikowski, Miles Clark, Cindy Lum, Phil Schwartzel, Anne Reynolds, Eric Hoffman, Adrian Dong, Christopher Vincent, Nate Fass, Wintham, Sean Peck, Eric Salander. Mike Smith, Trevor Davis, Tim Vernig, Chris Lowe, Joe Hoover, Timothy Gross, Glenn Cotter, Jesse Wilkowiak, Emil Jewel Jacobson, Marina Stevens, Bradley Meltz, Brady Meltzer, <laughs> Gregory Huber, Don Gilstrap, Stephen Judd, Leanne Velhurst, Ver Hulst. Oh man, Leanne, look at it. <laughs> Christopher Letko and John Lewis. Until next week, keep playing games and having fun. All right, this was definitely harder to do not seeing your faces. I know. Not too bad, though. Yeah, it wasn't too bad. I I could never tell if Fletcher was there or not. So I'm like, I'll just wait to see if his little green circle shows up or not. And I don't know if Fletcher's there. You guys didn't there. get to see my really yeah, topical Thanksgiving t-shirt. Happy Thanksgiving. <laughs> okay. <laughs>